Um, can't believe we're doing Daniel. I have not, I haven't taught it ever. I mean, I've taught lots of books of the Bible, but have to sit down and really dig in it. It's been a real challenge. So um, I'm hoping that there are some of you in here who've studied it thoroughly and have a lot of insights that you can add. Um, we do wanna have some discussion um, at the tables, which is one reason that we went to this format, just to kind of be close enough so you can hear each other talk. It's a little bit easier in this room. But if you're at the tables, um, even discussing, for example, if we give you a question and say, just discuss it at your table for a few minutes and then we'll talk about it as a whole, just so that everybody has an opportunity to, to share some of the things and hopefully you'll get to know each other a little better in the process too. So um, let me just open with a word of prayer and um, we'll pray for Denny. Uh, Bloomquist, and just also ask the Lord to just kind of guide our study as we begin now. So let's just bow together. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for each lady that came out. We thank you for the word of God, and we pray that you would use this book that in many ways is so very challenging to just challenge our lives here. We thank you that it's relevant and it's up to date, even though it was written years and years ago. We praise you, God, for the, the relevance of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Daniel is, oops, I knew I was, did I hit that? It's over here. Um, I'm going to start with some background on the book of Daniel and why why the Israelites are in Babylon. Um, this is the story of their, of their exile to Babylon for a number of reasons. And God uses that and challenges them, most of all, to come back to him and to follow him. And for our times that we live in, um, it, it's really important for us to get a handle on this. I want you to open your Bibles, first of all, to chapter 1 of Daniel. And I just want to um, read with you verses 1 and 2. We want to think about as we go into this, how the book of Daniel is relevant to us in the 21st century right now. Because this is written long, long ago. Um, it's full of dreams and images, strange uh, strange characters. <laughs> um, it's full of descriptions of all sorts of odd things and evil things. And yet it's relevant to us once we begin to pull it all together and understand it. Because God spoke to him in his time and in God's way may speak to us very differently in, in our time and in our day. But the images he saw in his dreams, I, I kind of liken them to what I think of a, a modern day science fiction movie in many ways, um, or a, a, an ancient warrior movie where TV takes and changes the images quickly, rapidly, morphs faces, morphs bodies, does all sorts of special effects. And Daniel really is, a, in a sense, a, a book of special effects. God brings these dreams and images to him and somehow brings them to life. 
and they come to life in our age even. So that's what we want to be looking at. So Daniel 1, 1 and 2, first of all. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, get these words, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So behind all of this is God. God allowed this and carried off, allowed Nebuchadnezzar to carry off the people of Israel from Jerusalem to Babylonia. This is actually the southern kingdom of, of Israel. This is the kingdom of Judah. Israel, the larger portion, the northern portion, had been carried off into Assyria. We don't have maps of that here with us right now today, but we're going to have some. But Assyria would have been the northern part. Here's the northern kingdom, but Assyria would have come in from the north. And, and those exiles went north. When Nebuchadnezzar, years later, came and conquered Jerusalem, he took them on a different route. And at the back of your uh, outline is a map showing you the route from Judah to Babylonia. It's a long route, and those people walked it, not under wonderful circumstances and not under a kind ruler. They were treated harshly, and they didn't care if these people died along the way or not. Babylon was known for its wickedness and its harsh tactics, brutal murders, brutal killings. Life was not precious at all to them when they conquered. Um, so these people were not in any easy situation. So what we want to look at is God delivered his people there. Why did that happen? We're going to see that it happened because of their sin and their disobedience and the fact that they, instead of, like, like we are, we're finding culture just kind of taking us over. They inculcated themselves into the cultures around them. They sought out the things that the people around them and the nations around them did, that did not worship God, that worshiped idols. And Israel, instead of staying faithful to their God, took those things that looked wonderful from those nations around them and brought them in and made them part of their lives. So God finally reached a point where he said, that's it. And we're going to find out today that he had warned them of this forever. So I want to just um, give you some things. You've got some blanks on your pages. And I'm going to just use the PowerPoint very briefly that the book of Daniel helps us to understand that God is involved with these things. And I'm just going to go through a list of them here. And I'm going to get out of the way. <laughs> so who am I not standing in front of my own page? All right. So first of all, we'll see what can this ancient book possibly teach us? First of all, we need to understand that the book of Daniel is um, that God is involved with the nations of the world. You think that he doesn't have anything to do with us or that he's not working in the United States. He is. 
God is involved with the world's nations. Think of our nations today, Russia, China, all of the things that are in the news. God is in it. Okay? The second thing. God is involved with the kings and leaders, the presidents, the administrators of all of those nations in the world. It doesn't just happen. Thirdly, God is involved with and over <coughs> angelic beings, demonic beings, all of the principalities and powers in spiritual places, in heavenly places, the spiritual beings. Satan is at work. God knows it. Satan does not have a free hand. God is over all. This is part of what the book of Daniel is going to teach us. Sometimes we think we're all floundering around here in our own mess, but God knows about it. God is aware of it, and God allows it. All right, fourthly, let's see if this one comes up. God is involved with each individual in the universe. He's an ever-present God. All nature is under his control. Now, you can look at this climate control, the hugest issue in our news today. No worries. God has the climate under his control. Our holding our breaths a little longer isn't going to change anything. <laughs> our taking less baths is only going to offend one another. <laughs> All right? God is involved because he is sovereign. That's what the book of Daniel is about. It's about the sovereignty of God. We often don't think about that. We think we are in charge or man is in charge. And the world around us certainly doesn't allow God any room. All right? The main character of the book is God, it should be. I wrote Daniel because I think that's what came to your minds. But the main character of the book is God. We think that this book is about Daniel. The book is really about God. Daniel just is someone that stands for God. And that is to show the rest of the people of Israel, this is how God wants us to live. I read that first chapter about Daniel resolving to follow the Lord and praying and his prayer being answered. And you know what my, my response was? <sighs> I'm not like that. I'm not like that where I give everything to God and allow God to just take over. That beautiful sense of rest that he has in prayer <clears throat> where he goes to God in prayer and just <sighs> leaves it. I might go to prayer and I'm still fussing about it. Did you ever do that? <laughs> Daniel prayed, drew, drew, drew his friends in and prayed, and God worked. And they allowed God to work. So there are lessons for us to learn. This has challenged me in many ways. 
So the role of Daniel is to be a mouthpiece for God, a person for God in a pagan world. And he does it beautifully. So that's about it for the PowerPoint. <clears throat> Any questions or comments before we go further? Now what I've done here is just basically put some notes together and I'm going to go over some scriptures with you. There's quite a few of them actually in the outline and I'll, I'll not go into depth into all of them, but I wanted you to at least see that there's proof there of God at work and God, God moving. But I have at the bottom of the first page, um, does it seem strange to you that a loving God would deliver his own people to a pagan king and relegate them to such harshness? You think about that? Does that seem strange? Not when you know the whole story. <laughs> not when you know the whole story. But for the world that may not know God, would that be a tough thing to swallow? Yes. That's one of the objections people have of things in the Old Testament. That it's so harsh and God is so harsh. God is a loving God. And what he does with Israel, he does out of love for them. We're going to see that. Um, now, I just want to finish this question here at the bottom. Why, why would he tell the people of Judah and their kings and allies through his prophet Jeremiah that he would hand them over to his servant? And this is what he calls Nebuchadnezzar. He hands them over to his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What would prompt God to act that way? I said before, it was the sin of Israel. And back in uh, 2 Kings 17, I just wanted to read this list of sins um, from 2 Kings 17, starting with verse 16. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons, one area. We can find hundreds probably of references regarding the evilness of Israel. But in verse 16 of 2 Kings 17, it says, they forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves idols, cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts. God had told them not to worship the stars or the moon, but to worship him. Um, they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And so the Lord was very angry with them. Brokenhearted. Not just angry, brokenhearted. God's patience is huge. I want to take you back to the history on page two, just a couple of things about the history of Israel and God's call upon their life. Way, way back in the book of Exodus, starting in verse 28, or chapter 28, we have a prophecy.
see, starting in, oh, it's Deut it should be Deuteronomy. Sorry about that. I gave you the wrong reference. No wonder I couldn't find it. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28:49. Way back here, Moses is talking to the children of Israel. And he's predicting and prophesying about what is happening to them when we get to the book of Daniel. It says this, verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They'll devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They'll leave you with no new grain, new wine or oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks, until you are ruined. This is God. They will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. And they will besiege all the cities throughout the land your Lord is giving. You see, Israel has sinned and God is angry. Does he still love his people? Yes. He is not doing this to destroy them. He's doing it to draw them to himself. Will there be people who die because of this? Yes, who die in their sins because of it. But God has been patient with Israel. And by the time we get to Daniel, he's been patient with them for hundreds of years. But remember this, this is Moses prophesying back in the book of Deuteronomy about a nation coming to take them away. Does the prophecy come true? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, um, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Got the right book this time. I was thinking Moses, so it had to be Exodus. <laughs> Starting in verse 15, and this is after Moses has poured out his heart to the nation of Israel, shortly before he dies. <clears throat> verse 15 says, he says to Israel, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. He's telling them the blessings of the Lord if they obey, the curses against them if they disobey. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his laws. And then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're about to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." God desires obedience from his people. He desires no less from us. Okay? I declare that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing uh, to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now, choose life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Makes you cry. Moses is standing before these people and he has said beforehand, I know what kind of people you are. 
Moses has lived with them, led them, fed them, cared for them, prayed for them. And now he's getting ready to leave and he says, listen, I know what you're like. God knows even more. Choose life, choose life, choose to follow him. He says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, <clears throat> instead of choosing life, Israel chose disobedience. We get to the book of Judges and everything falls apart. They're not there long and Joshua, their leader, dies. And all of a sudden, what happens to the people? They go back into apostasy and begin to follow the behaviors of the people around them. And they don't only follow them haphazardly or half-heartedly. <clears throat> they take them into their homes. They take their gods into their homes. They bring all of the sins of the world around them into their lives. And then the nation begins to fall apart. And as we go through the Bible from book to book, that is what we see happening to the nation of Israel. Instead of life and obedience, they choose disobedience. And God is faithful and patient and warns them continually. We get into the kings and we find out, and you know this that from our study, that the kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. And as the kings did evil and brought in other gods and worshiped the Baal gods and the Asherahs, the people of Israel began to take in all of those things as well until God split Israel into two nations, <clears throat> the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, when we get to Daniel, has already been taken up into Assyria and assimilated. Some of those Israelites have come down to Judah and stayed there until Judah falls apart. And then in the book of Kings, Judah falls apart and God comes and takes the people of Judah to Babylon, to where we're starting now in the book of Daniel. So I want to take you back a little bit to some of the prophecies, because what God did was to send prophets to the people of Israel and Judah to warn them. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah, many of them forecast what would happen if they sinned against God. So Jeremiah 25, I want you to take a look at what we see happening is God sends Jeremiah 25 as he sends his prophets into his country. And he, and he doesn't just send them once. We find out in this chapter that for 23 years, Jeremiah says, I've been back talking to you. 23 years, <clears throat> he warned them. And he's only one of the prophets. So it's not like God just put the hammer down and said, that's it. See, what this does really, it calls us to challenge ourselves. So, Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to kind of read here and there. Um, <clears throat> so, Jeremiah says in verse 1, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Got a, 
a new and powerful king in Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, from the, thir from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but what? What does your Bible say? You have not listened. So for 23 years, faithful Jeremiah came to these people and told them, God loves you. God calls you to obedience. Now choose life. Choose obedience. And follow God. And God was ready to be merciful to them at any time. Let me just keep reading here. Verse 4. It says, And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention at all. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods and do not worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with what your hands have made, and then I will not harm you. What is God saying to them? If you do what? If you obey me, I won't bring this upon you. Or you can stay in your land. Okay? So, verse 7. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have provoked me with what your hands have made and what you have brought for yourselves. You've brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant. This is God speaking about Nebuchadnezzar. My servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I'll bring them again against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I'll completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I'd be shaken in my boots. <sighs> I will banish them from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon how long? Seven For 70 years. So Jeremiah went and faithfully told them what was going to happen to them. And if they chose to obey, this would not come upon them. They would be allowed to stay in their land. But they would not listen. Now, when we get to 2 Chronicles, I'm going to have you take you through a number of these. 2 Chronicles 36. At the end of the period of the kings, you see what? Jeremiah was a prophet that prophesied during the time of the kings. Okay? So it's like Daniel's here. Jeremiah came before him. All right? 2 Chronicles 36 gives us a nice summary of why we find that um, the Israelites are in, are in Babylon. I'm going to start reading, I think, at 
I don't know. Let me read, starting at 14, and we'll see how we go. It says, furthermore, the leaders of the, the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all of the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Now, the writer of the Chronicles is summarizing, and this is at the end of, like, the history of the kings. He's giving us the facts. Here's why we're in the mess we're in. Verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed them all over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple. They broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, the few people who were left. Now, thousands were killed. Thousands more were taken in exile over three different periods of time because Nebuchadnezzar um, went against them three different times. So different numbers of people were taken each time. I read that in one of the, the um, exiles, there were 10,000 people that were taken into exile. In one of the other ones, 3,000 were taken over to Babylon. And they were to be assimilated into that culture. And God had said, I don't want you there. Instead, obey me. And so he carried into exile to Babylon, the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests, and all the time of desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. So when we get to Daniel, um, Daniel was in the first group that went. So um, he had all of this ahead of him. Now, when they are in exile, I want you to turn to, Je to Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> now remember, they're there because they disobeyed. They're there because they didn't listen. They didn't believe the warnings. So we need to hear about this and think about it for ourselves. Okay? Because you'll see as we go through the book of Daniel that many of these things are, are going to happen even in our world. Okay? So Jeremiah 29, um, Jeremiah writes a letter to the Jews in captivity. God has given him a word to send to his people while they're in captivity. <clears throat> and um, the letter goes to Jehoiakim. 
uh, and, and to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. There were three kings at the end, Jehoi Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Um, he entrusted the letter, it says at the bottom, to Elisha, son of Shepham, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. This is what the letter said. He's writing now to the exiles. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <clears throat> and I want you to look at what he says. I have some questions on there um, at the bottom of the page, of page two, about halfway down. Verses four to six, God gives instructions for these people as to how they should live while they're in captivity. I want you to think about these things and um, see how they apply to us. This is what the Lord says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number here. Do not decrease. So, to a nation in exile, to people who want to know and need to know how to live, what is he telling you? What is he telling us? And what did he tell the children in, in exile? They're in a land they don't know anything about, people that they don't know, nations that have different customs and habits and behaviors, and God says what to them? Carry on with your life. Carry on with your life. Settle down. Plant your gardens. Eat the food from it. Marry. Have children. Raise them up. Find wives and husbands for your sons and daughters. Does that seem strange to you? Otherwise, the pattern of behavior of the nation in exile would be to continue in rebellion against that nation, against the will of God. In other words, he's saying, I want you to live as I would have told you to live in the land of promise. Go into that land of promise and conquer the people around it but live in peace. Have your families, plant your gardens, take over. He says, when you get into that place of exile, I want you to live like I want you to live. I want you to live as godly people, carrying on because I am with you in the midst of the mess. Do you agree? He purposely, and in other places I could show you, he purposely said, do not fight against them. Do not rebel against them. Go into their land and live as I tell you to live. And basically the instructions are what he gave the children of Israel when they began to go into the Canaan land. Go in there. Possess the land. Now he's not telling them to take over the Babylonians at all. But he is telling them to live as godly people in front of them. Sandy. And not to chafe against his discipline. Not to chafe against his discipline, not to pull God down, but to live in the power of the name of God. 
it's an impossible task without the power of God working in you. So let's keep going here. <clears throat> he says, increase in number, do not decrease. <clears throat> Verse 7. Also, now get this one. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. All right, you're in exile in a foreign land. Seek the peace of that land. Seek the prosperity of that land. Because why? What does it say in the next verse? Look at your Bibles. If it prospers, you will prosper. God will bless you in that place. Now, when we come to study Daniel, did you see Daniel in any of your Bible stories kicking against the people around him? Fighting against them, rebelling? What did Daniel do as an exile in Babylon? He carried on what God wanted him to do. He lived quietly among them. He sought their good. He did. He sought the king of Babylon's good. He told him, listen, this is what God is going to do. God has plans for you, and if you obey him, this is what's going to happen. You see, in the place of the most uncomfortable situation that we could find ourselves, God says, I want you to settle down. Live for me. Obey me. Live in the power of God. It's basically what he's saying. Live in that awful place where God has led you in the power and grace of God. This is why Daniel's a challenge to us. All right, let's keep going. He says, seek, seek their peace and prosperity. And here's the best one. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. And then he says, don't let the false prophets and diviners that have come with you from Judah, don't let them influence you. They brought along a crowd of people who were still grumbling and prophesying against God. He says, don't pay any attention to them. Pay attention to me instead. And then down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to you to bring you back to this place, back to Judah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We love this verse. <laughs> plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Did that just happen overnight? No. That has been from everlasting. God knows the plans he has from, for us. Not just in the situation we're in, but in every situation we are facing. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I'm not going to harm you guys here in Babylon. My plans for you here are to help you to prosper in Babylon. 
in the most rotten place you could think of being. I want you to do okay. That makes sense? Only in the power of God. So here's what it says. He says, when you come to this realization, then you'll call on me. When you, when you come to the realization that I love you, basically, you'll call on me and come and pray to me. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with what? Amen. All of your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and seek the Lord when you seek me with all your heart. What does God want most from us? He wants our attention. He does. In the land that we live, that's giving us all kinds of messages and calling us to all kinds of things, God says, Marsha, pay attention to me right now in your mess. I got a mess. You probably do too. We all have things we live with that are hard and awful and terrible. And God says, love me because I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to bless you, to give you hope and a future. But you must seek me with your whole heart in that place. And that's the message of Daniel, that in the exile, in the place where he least wanted to be, in the place where no one worshiped God, except maybe for a few, he said, I need you to hear my word and follow me to submit to me, because that's what Israel did not do. They did not submit to the Lord, the God of Israel. They made their own gods. And God said, when you come and seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. <sighs> Blessed relief. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you in exile. So, to wrap up, the message of Daniel is the message of submission to God in the place where God places us. doesn't mean it's an easy place, and it doesn't mean submission is easy. But it is what God desires for his people. Because the problem with them, over all of the years that God bore with his people, was that they would not follow him. They follow the gods around them. So the challenge for us as we go through these things is that we see what God wants from each one of us. Now, Michelle talked to you about the book. This is a book that's very different from most of the books we've used. And we kind of talked a long time as to whether or not we should even 
get it and ask you to do it because I know that doing a book is a hard thing for many of you. But this book will help you to understand what's going on in the book of Daniel. And I have to be honest with you, I have, I have learned so many things from it. I even drew pictures where they asked me to, and I never did that. I just told the Lord, I said, well, I'm going to work through this and, and do what I need to do. So I'm going to just read to you one of the things from page 29 in here. When I was doing my lesson, I'm going to share something here very private. Um, it says, the, the question or the statement is, giving God control of our lives is difficult for most of us. In what areas of your life do you attempt to maintain control? How does this need for control manifest itself? <clears throat> Can you discern why? How might understanding God's control over the affairs of the earth help you relinquish control in your personal life? Here's what I wrote. Sounds kind of weird, but this is what I wrote. I said, I think for me, coming to understand that God is in our present circumstances, in our everyday, and that he is not uninvolved or uncaring is vital for me. I'm a person that likes an answer right now, and I like to find the answer quick. But I have to realize, like most of us do, that God is in my everyday. And put me there. So for me to kick against what might be going on in my life is not what God wants. God is in my everyday. And here's what I wrote. This is very personal. I may feel alone, but I need to pause and look at my present, my now. I can see God everywhere. Today, December 29th, 2022, he has protected Don and me. He has provided for us. We are safe. Our house is warm. We have food. We have clothing. We have family around us. Don is not well, but he is still, uh, he still can think and talk, make decisions. He is walking, doing stairs, able to dress and be up. This did not just happen, but God is with us. And that's what I'm taking away from this that God is with us in whatever circumstances we may find ourselves. They're not all pretty, but God is here. God is in Daniel's life and helping him. So I want to challenge you to take the book. I honestly very seldom do the books we give you. <laughs> but I had to do this one mostly because, to be honest with you, I, the study that I have put into Daniel since we started this is a lot, but I had not ever really dug into it. And now I'm challenged to dig into it because it's stuff I don't understand, all the stuff about statues and images and so on. So I have to really lean on God. <laughs> so I want to challenge you to do that too. It's really helped me, it's spoken to me. So um, I just want to challenge you with that and um, we'll just close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for how you love us, how patient you are with us. We thank you for caring for us. We thank you for the lessons in the book of Daniel. We ask that you will challenge our hearts and give us answers. Lord, these things that are brought up in this book are um, mind-stretching. 
So we ask, Lord, that you will be with us every step of the way as we go forward here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.